Kelly and Kelly. Previously on this Sand series. Kirk Todd is a sociopath. Uh, he caused my family extreme heartache. He seemed so kind at first. I'm Gwen Radford, and this season I'm unraveling the story of prolific con man Jeremy Weaver, known to most as Kirk Todd. And how a lifetime of conning eventually led him to Los Angeles. I thought he was the only honest man in all of Hollywood. Where he would pull off one of the most elaborate cons in Hollywood history. All based around a movie called Grand Casino. But Grand Casino doesn't exist. It was never made. And Kirk Todd walked away with $5 million. Back then, that was a lot of chips. It's This Sounds Serious, The Case of Grand Casino, a CastBox original. Check, check, check. You hear me? Yeah. Ugh. I should not have had those noodles last night. Look at me. I'm so fucking bloated. Should I do another button? To understand more about Kirk and the circumstances around this movie that was never made, we need to go back. Back to the bizarre events that occurred on the evening of December 12th, 1991. Derek! Derek, do you have a couple quick sex? <laughs> I don't mean sex. I mean seconds. What? <laughs> How are you? What you're hearing is unreleased footage from an industry screening for the film Grand Casino. The screening took place at the Studio City Theater on Ventura Boulevard in Studio City, California. Are you excited about the movie? Yeah, I love being in movies, and I love movies, I love watching movies, so it's going to be fun. Okay, great, thank, thank you. Thank you. Wow, I, uh, I could get more out of fucking cement. The footage makes me feel pretty nostalgic for the early 90s. Bolo ties, floral dresses, acid wash jeans. There are a few autograph seekers trying to catch the attention of the handful of celebrities in attendance. Brendan Fraser, Juliette Lewis, Sinbad, and of course, Kirk Todd. Kirk! Hi, Rebecca, <laughs> how are you? Great to see you. Gorgeous, you look fabulous. Thank you so much. That's the voice of Kirk Todd, the man who scammed hundreds of people out of millions of dollars. Throughout this episode, you're going to be hearing a lot of this footage. Well, I'll tell you, we're excited to debut this movie tonight. A lot of people worked really hard on it, and I'm just excited for the, uh, the world to see it. I think they're going to be thrilled. What I find striking about this footage is how relaxed and confident Kirk is. You wouldn't guess from watching the footage that this is the last time he'll be seen before his crime is revealed. You must be so excited. Uh, yeah, excitement for sure. A uh, little bit nervous as well. Who knows, maybe I'll walk in the front door and just walk right out the back. <laughs> I can't imagine what's going through his head at this moment. He's been running this con for months, and he's keeping up the facade until the last possible moment. Why wouldn't he be long gone by now? Hey, did that nervous thing play, or do you want to do it again? Oh, yeah. Do you want more? No, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. What did I say? You must be so excited. Yeah. The woman's voice you're hearing is Rebecca Healy. She was the host of a syndicated entertainment news show called Hollywood Tonight from 1981 to 
coming up. He's America's favorite dad. But can anyone live up to the moral standards of Bill Cosby? Back then, entertainment reporting wasn't the way it is today. There was no internet. There was no Comic-Con. There were only a few TV channels. If you wanted to get any inside scoop on showbiz, Hollywood Tonight was one of the couple of TV shows that covered this stuff. Oh gosh, yeah, of course I remember that night. People were so excited. You know, we didn't, we didn't realize then we were filming a crime scene. If anyone had a front row seat to the saga of Kirk Todd and Grand Casino, it was Rebecca. Back then, I was invited to hundreds of these types of screenings. It was you know, very, very busy. You show up with a cameraman, you do a couple of casual interviews, you watch the movie, you follow your story. That's it. That's all. You might do a bump of cocaine. Are you going to get B-roll of the marquee, or are you just are you doing a walk and talk? Yeah, well, sure, yeah. We'll, we'll do, do it the... now, because this is the busiest it's going to be. Okay, start okay. it here. Honestly, I thought it was just going to be another one of those screenings. But, as you know, things didn't turn out as planned. In Rebecca's footage, you can see Kirk head into the theater. Yeah, thank you so much, Kirk. Do it now, this is the busiest it's going to be. Knowing what I know now, it's hard to come to terms with what I'm watching. How did this happen? How did this happy December evening start out with such high hopes, but end up like this? Oh, well, okay. After the meet and greets uh, out front, we all went inside. Rebecca took me through that night, minute by minute. She says at 7 o'clock, the audience was ushered into the theater to take their seats. You know, there was some milling about. I remember a microphone at the front. It was like someone was supposed to make a speech, I guess. I didn't know what was happening, so I, I just I told the cameraman to keep rolling. At 7.10, she noticed the mood in the room begin to change. People were starting to get restless. There was a kerfuffle. There was a heated words in the projector room. I thought it was a technical problem. But the movie still didn't start, and Kirk didn't make a speech. 7.30, the house lights dimmed as though the movie was about to begin, but then two minutes later, they came back on. 7.35, a commotion began to brew amongst the Greystone Studio executives, the company that gave Kirk the $5 million to make this movie. And then I remember at one point, a woman from Greystone got out of her seat to leave the theater, and a few minutes later, she came back in and headed straight for Jack Gray Jr. Jack Gray Jr. was the 80-year-old president of Greystone Pictures. 7.50, after what she describes as hushed yelling. And they started sort of like whisper yelling with each other. It was so strange. You find him right now or you're fired. You're making a scene. No, you're making a scene. Like that sort of thing. Rebecca's cameraman began rolling as Jack Gray Jr. approached the microphone at the front of the theater. The footage is a little shaky, but he looks flustered. He's sweating. He's not prepared to make a speech, but he tries to lighten the mood. I haven't been to many film screenings, but watching this footage, I can tell this is not how it's supposed to go. Jack Gray Jr. doesn't appear to know what to say. It's like he's just killing time waiting for Kirk to appear. After he awkwardly congratulates the cast, he makes a half-hearted attempt to bring some energy back into the theater. Anyone in from out of town? No. Oh, any birthdays then, huh? Anyone celebrating anything? You girls, a, a bachelorette party down here? No. No. Dating's 
crazy these days. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Sometimes the mistress doesn't understand she's supposed to stay away from the wife. Is he there? Oh, he's here. He's No. Well, then who the hell was that? Well, tell him to sit down. After six uncomfortable minutes, he stops waiting for Kirk to show up and starts the show. Oh, the hell with it. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Grand Casino. Thank you for coming. I'm going to pause here for a second because what happens next is truly astounding. So the lights finally went down, the projector started up, and then... Then there was just a white screen. At first, I think most of us thought this was some sort of joke. You know, we all just sat there and watched three minutes of blank celluloid played on the screen. But after a while, it it just became uncomfortable. Rebecca goes on to describe the chaos that would ensue. It was bananas. People started leaving the theater en masse, and, and the Greystone execs looked downright panicked. This was the most embarrassing night of my life. That's Isabelle Broussard, one of the stars of the movie. My parents flew in from France for the premiere. They actually liked it. (laughs) They thought it was an art piece, you know? Oh, uh, a theater full of men in tuxedos, angry about a blank screen. Very avant-garde. It was a disaster. She says Jack ran up to the lobby, then the projection room, then back to the theater, then back to the lobby again. Jack looked mortified. I felt for him. But then after a while, he just became furious. He started running around in circles in the lobby, yelling, Where's Kirk? Where's Kirk? Where's Kirk? And that's when he finally collapsed. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, stay calm. Yeah, hello? Hello, 911? It was then that Jack's son Bennett called 911. My dad is having a heart attack. Oof, but he didn't stay down long. It was insane. One minute, people were trying to take care of him, and the next, people were running away from him. Hello? Hi, sir. What's going on now? I hear him. He, he, just, he was just throwing some candy out of the, out of the thing. Jack, at one point, kicked in the janitor's closet and started jabbing at people with a mop, all while having this heart attack. As details of that night emerged, two things became clear. One... There was no movie there that night. In the projection room were five reels of blank film labeled Grand Casino. And two, Kirk Todd was nowhere to be found. We were all in shock. I mean, how does something like this even happen? We're all smart people. I'm on TV. For Kirk Todd to pull off a con of this scale, he would have had to gain the trust of some pretty powerful people in the entertainment industry. Coming up after the break we find out how he did just that. He had like a sixth sense for knowing what people needed to hear. Before Kirk Todd arrived in Hollywood, he had been running con jobs for over a decade across America and Europe. At this point in the story, it's unclear as to why he decided to make the move to Hollywood in the first place. There are theories that Kirk's luck had run out in Europe and that he had grown bored with the usual cons he had been running. But journalist Janice Russell has a different theory. I actually believe when Kirk moved to Hollywood, he was trying to go legit. We heard from Janice in episode one. 
if you think about it, if you were a con artist that wanted to go on the straight and narrow, there are a number of perfectly valid careers that suit a con man's skill set. And TV producer is at the top of the list. Whatever his reasons, we know that Kirk arrived in California sometime around 1982. And shortly after his arrival, he met his soon-to-be producing partner, Blaine Cross. Gwen! Hello! I'm Blaine. Come on in. How's your flight? I tracked down Blaine, who is now living a pointedly less Hollywood life in Long Beach. I've got a few Emmys here, obviously, and uh, Writers Guild things all from back in the day. Blaine is in his early 60s now. His hair is more salt than pepper. He's tall with all-American good looks. Although, maybe California good looks would be more fitting. He looks like a surfer, with his broad shoulders, golden tan, and big, toothy smile. The funny thing is, I had nothing to do with that movie, except my name was on it as Kirk's co-producer. He says after Grand Casino, he was blacklisted from Hollywood. When Kirk conned everyone, everything dried up for me. Those were, uh, those were dark times. Blaine goes on to tell me that he met Kirk in 1983 on an exercise bike, of all places. Everyone was suddenly in a health kick all at once, thanks to Jane Fonda and Olivia Newton-John. So there I was on a stationary bike, hoping that some hot young thing of leg warmers would sit down next to me. But I had to settle for Kirk Todd. The two of them both introduced themselves as producers, even though neither of them had any real credits to their name. So I told him I was a producer, even though I'd really only worked in advertising until then. My big thing, my claim to fame, was that I was the first guy to put rapping in a commercial. It was a commercial for yogurt. B to the L to the regularis. I'm eating lots of yogurt from New York to Paris. Have two spoons, so I got to share this. It's a funky new food. Don't be embarrassed. So fun. So fun yogurt. Yo, 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 yogurt. This was back before it took any talent to rap, of course. Blaine and Kirk quickly formed a partnership and started pitching shows around town. He had this, like, special ability of gaining people's trust instantly. He had, like, a sixth sense for knowing what people needed to hear. And as for what I brought to the party, I was, you know, I'm a stories guy. Working advertising, you you learn a thing or two. I mean, what are commercials if not little 30-second stories, right? Blaine says although Kirk had a lot of the talents that make a successful producer, he sometimes struggled with the artistic side of things. Kirk was, ah, God, how do I put this? Kirk wasn't the most creative guy. He, he had lots of ideas. They just weren't, they just weren't good. As valuable as Blaine's accounts of Kirk are to our story, what's even more valuable is what's in his attic. So, Kirk always had a dictaphone in his pocket, and whenever he had an idea, he would record it. He, uh had all his cassettes at the office, and when he disappeared, I kept them. And here they are. Our younger listeners may not know what a dictaphone is. In the days before smartphones, if you wanted to remember an idea, you could either write it down or record it on a small handheld tape recorder. For a podcaster like me, it's an absolute dream to come across this archive of tapes. Testing, testing, testing. This is a Kirk Todd idea, May 12th, 1987. Blaine has boxes of these tiny tapes. And on them, we get to hear firsthand Kirk's thoughts and ideas. Some of which are pretty good. The show, sort of like in the vein of Doogie Howser, he's a savant. But he shows a penchant for law enforcement. He's a child cop. 
It's like facts of life, but with boys. Interested in television that's based in reality. Call it reality TV. And some of which are downright awful. Here's an idea for a TV show. Fat dads. All the dads are fat, but they solve mysteries. I wonder what lawyers are like in Utah. Utah law. It's got a nice ring to it. Utah law. Fixated on the acronym HAM, H-A-M, Human Automated Machines. These are complex killing robots powered by HAM. It wasn't long before Kirk and Blaine sold the idea for a primetime soap opera called Emerald Motors about the family of an automobile tycoon. Emerald Motors, where jealousy is the engine that drives industry. There's a funny thing about Hollywood. For every hit, there are a bunch of copycats. That's Rebecca Healy again. Well, at the time, Dallas was a big hit primetime soap opera. Dynasty and Falconcrest were copycats that came along a few years later. And Emerald Motors was a copycat of those two. You get it. Even though critics called it campy and over the top, it ran on CBS for two years. Oh, it's you. You'll be pleased to know that the new convertible will soon be ready for the unveiling, barring any unforeseen circumstances. What are you doing with that gun? On Dallas, you know, their big thing was who shot JR. Well, on Emerald Motors, someone got shot in every episode. That's the voice of Phil Barlow, the casting director for Emerald Motors. I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out, well, now who did it? And then bang, you know, someone else would get shot. I mean, in the first season, we literally shot 32 lead characters. It was a casting nightmare, but the audience loved it. The show started to gain Kirk and Blaine a reputation for being capable producers. They could bring a show in on budget and create storylines that kept an audience interested. Blaine says just getting a show on the air triggered something in Kirk. Hi, I'm Kirk Todd, and I've been elected CBS's team captain. We've been training hard, and I've got on my lucky shoes. And joining Kirk on the CBS team is Airwolf star... Kirk began to realize the power of celebrity and that it could be used to fuel more opportunity. In an effort to cultivate his own celebrity, he began making as many TV appearances as he could. Hey, kids. It's super producer Kirk Todd here. You know, sometimes you're going to be on the playground and you're really going to want to smoke reefer. Well, here's the thing. The cool kids... They don't do drugs. And that's how you grow up good. It's rare to see a TV producer getting so much screen time. He even put his face and voice at the end of every episode of his show. You know those little tags that play at the end of TV shows when they have the name of the production company? In the 80s, they were everywhere. Think of the end of Cheers, with a picture of a dog and the words, Sit, Ubu, Sit. Well, Kirk and Blaine's production company had one as well. And it was kind of grotesque. It was a picture of me, yeah, with the top part of my head missing and Kirk holding a spoon and digging into my brain. The words cross Kirk Productions appear on the screen and you hear... 
Give me those ideas. Looking back at this now, it's genius. Even if the show didn't stick with the audience, the catchphrase did. Everyone was saying it. Jesus didn't show up with a spoon and say, give me those ideas. President Reagan's going to be stealing this policy. He might as well just say, give me those ideas, um, like they do on the television. And this type of notoriety led to more opportunities for Kirk and Blaine. The duo behind Emerald Motors looks to strike gold again with Pike Place, a teen drama that takes place in Seattle's Pike Place market. For the record, I am one of the few people who remembers this show. It was like 90210 before 90210 and aired for one season on the now-defunct TV network America One. What's gotten into you, Heather? You seem stressed. Well, Darren, I'm stressed because I don't have enough time to study for the SATs, work at the fish market, practice with my band, and be your girlfriend. Are you breaking up with me? I don't know. Whoa, whoa. Whose condom is this? Looking back, it's not great. But that's actually a testament to Kirk's ability to make a deal. It's a skill he'd been honing his whole life as a con artist. He could sell people something that had no value. It's what made him a great producer. And it's what led Kirk straight to Greystone Pictures. Greystone Pictures. Films for the world. Greystone Pictures is gone now, but for years, they were one of the more successful low-budget studios in L.A. In the 70s, they were all about discovering young filmmakers. They had movies like um, Samantha's Wish and Tazberry. But then in the 80s, things took a bit of a turn. They started trying to make these big blockbusters like uh, Universe Killers and um, The Running Thunder. And then the worst of all was uh, Future Ball. Yikes. I won't race today. I don't care about the astro droids. I don't care about the ooze they're going to feed me. I can't go out there and laser blade my own brother. You have to do it. Do it for our fetus, who's gestating now in the underground plasma sack. Wait. What? Glooglack. Glooglack, you too. But when the 90s rolled around, Greystone was in financial trouble. And Jack Gray Jr. decided it was time for the studio to go back to its roots and make smaller budget movies with up-and-coming filmmakers. And Kirk Todd saw them as the perfect mark. Kirk Todd, the future of Hollywood. Now remember that I said it here first. That's a clip of Jack Gray Jr. It's from an interview he gave about Kirk and Grand Casino in 1991. This guy has got it. He's got great ideas, he's great with people, and we are just so fortunate to have the hottest producer in Hollywood join us. He could have gone anywhere, but he chose us, and that means a lot. In the interview, Jack describes how the Grand Casino deal came together. Well, we had a meeting with him about Grand Casino, and I loved the idea, so we bought it in the room. I know I'd always wanted to do that. He, uh, he was pitching the movie, and I was, you know, off in my own little world thinking, is this the time I'm going to buy it in the room? I got a real charge out of it. And that was it. After that meeting, Kirk was off to the races. 
I've only known him a short time, but I think of him as a member of the family. Kirk Todd Gray Jr. Uh, he's a good man. Jack Gray didn't realize that he had just signed the deed to one of the biggest cons in Hollywood history, and that months later, he would be flailing on the floor of a movie theater suffering a heart attack because of it. Next time on This Sounds Serious. Hello, Hollywood Tonight. I'm Kirk Todd, and I'm standing on the set of my new movie called Grand Casino. How do you pretend to make a $5 million movie? Ooh, there were so many rumors flying around. You write a real script. Writing a script was just part of the dance. You hire a real crew. Some days his assistant would change the schedule. And you make a real trailer. Well, we don't usually get a trailer that early on, but I guess Kirk was excited. I truly think... Kirk Todd is a genius. An evil genius, to be clear, but a genius nonetheless. 